Hello and welcome to the Hacking State podcast. This is your host, Alex Mershak. With me today is Grant Deaver. Grant is a research fellow writing on energy policy for the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for thanks for having me. I, I kind of want to... Okay, one thing. My last name is Dever. Just Dever. Uh, I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, no, it's all good. All right. So, Grant Dever. Um, well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Today, we're going to talk about uh, your work with the foundation, as well as uh, nuclear policy and nuclear energy overall. Um, so before we delve deep into that topic, uh, I just wanted to ask, how did you get started uh, You know, working on this? I think you sort of took an unconventional path to writing on energy policy. Yeah, very, very unconventional path. Uh, I'll try to give you a, a medium length version of the story, but essentially, um, in you know, I have a background in economics and business. That's why I studied in undergrad very much think and think like an economist, you know, been honing and training those muscles for a long time. Um, and then basically during COVID, I started participating in this um, online community called IndieThinkers.org. Uh, I had just published uh, my own little independent book, Lead the Future, um, Strategies and Systems for Emerging Leaders. Um, and basically the pitch for Indie Thinkers was we're all trapped more or less in our house. You know, it's it's lockdown. Um, there's not a lot of other opportunities for you to socialize. Uh, now it's a great time to, uh, you know, work on cultivating kind of your, um, cultivating your, you know, niche interests, writing online, connecting over, um, connecting with other people who are intellectuals, interesting, interested in kind of promoting their ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, so I joined that, uh, it's Justin Murphy's community. And then from there, I, um, so there's kind of two parts. Like I was going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole at the time, um, and still, you know, consider myself to, to be a Bitcoiner. Um, and as I was going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, I learned a lot about energy. Um, you know, they're one of the, you know, they're people who, who ultimately get it because they realize how important, um, you know, access to affordable, reliable power is for their whole enterprise and for Bitcoin to be successful. So that was kind of exposing me to some of these broader ideas about energy. And then uh, as a member of the community, I connected with um, Emmett Penny, also known as the Nuclear Barbarian. Um, and he had edited Michael Schellenberger's um, books, um, you know, particularly Apocalypse Never, um, and was making his way as a you know, nuclear advocate and researcher um, in his own right. So basically it was just, you know, we were, we were all trying to publish a lot, reading each other's work, being supportive, sharing kind of tips um, on how to, you know, build a following on Twitter and Substack and these kinds of things. Um, and I was just reading a lot of Emmett's work and that got me really interested in nuclear. Before that, I'd really only heard of it um, as like a solution to our energy problems in the context of like the Andrew Yang campaign, because he mm. was like, oh, we got to look at generation four thorium reactors like everything people are worried about we you know we we've already solved it we just need to build this solution whatever um so beyond that i hadn't really heard of it uh, or heard much about it uh, i was just solar wind natural gas you know it's mostly what everyone talked about coal is bad mm -hmm. um and then so uh that got me really interested and then when i moved to austin 
um, Emmett and a few of his nuclear friends um, at the time were organizing these uh, kind of like protests or meetups um, under the name of um, Stand with Nuclear. And at the time in Germany and you know Illinois and Michigan and a bunch of different places, there were activists trying to shut down operational um, nuclear plants. Um, completely insane. Uh, behind me is South Texas Project, uh, one of uh, tech, one of Texas's nuclear um, power plants. Um, so anyway, I, I show up at this meeting. They're like, "Hey, this is what we're doing. We essentially want you know you to organize something. We want a photo op." Um, we want you to educate people. We want email addresses. We don't know anyone in Texas. You're our guy. I literally just moved here like three days before. I didn't really know that many people here. Um, they were like, you know, there's two nuclear power plants, South Texas Project and Comanche Peak. They mm -hmm. um, provide about 10% of Austin's power. No one's trying to shut them down. Uh, they're great. But um, we just want to kind of like educate and connect with people. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I think I know one guy who's like into nuclear power just because he's like a giant uh, Nixon head. So he's really, you know, big on the project independence. We should build a thousand nuclear reactors. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I know all these Bitcoiners because I basically tapped into that group as soon as I got here because um, there's just such a high concentration of them. And I had basically just been reading about all this stuff and connecting with people online. Um, so I went to a bunch of those events, you know, was posting in the Telegram group hosted a couple, basically just like happy hours, you know, one was bigger than the others. I wrote, I got um, nuclearbitcoin.substack.com. I wrote like one thing kind of explaining my very loose idea of the the potential overlaps between Bitcoin and nuclear. That's a great um, name. And then the by president. The way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I should, I wish I got in the website. That would have been, that would have been the, uh, the real move. I, I, I did look, but, uh, you mm -hmm. know, some genius had already captured um the namespace i'm sure there's still some good domains out there if i wanted to look for them um but anyway then the the president of the foundation for research on equal opportunity freeop.org um ovik roy reached out to me through telegram because he's a bitcoiner he's spoken at the bitcoin conference he's written um you know really technical interesting arguments about um the potential role for bitcoin and solving um you know, some of the fiscal problems that the United States government has. Um, and he was like, hey, let's get lunch. Uh, it seems like, you know, you're interested in policy. You can write. You're interested in nuclear. You're interested in Bitcoin. Let's uh, let's chat. And then, you know, he, he made me an offer um, during lunch to start writing part time for them. Uh, and that kind of just set me further down this rabbit hole of learning, you know, how does the grid actually work? Um, how how does any of this work? Uh, mm. And and basically, I was doing that part time until from from November of 2021 through to June of 2023, and then I started full time. So I've been I've been full time on this for a few months, which has been you know really accelerated the learning curve here, um, which is nice. But there's always more to learn. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I mean, what a what a great journey that you had. Um getting here. And, um, I think it's, uh, really awesome that, um, the initiative was taken to sort of bring you in to the organization and, and that that's worked out so far. Um, so what is like the concise pitch, I guess, for nuclear, because obviously there's a lot of 
I mean, we could get into the concerns that people have about the safety of the technology. Um, I think a lot of those are, I mean, really should be put to rest, but they're still not really commonly known. Um, mm-hmm. But the when it comes to uh, cleaner energy, um, people are always talking about renewables, they're talking about wind, they're talking about solar. Um, and it just seems odd to me that nuclear is left out of the equation because it does just seem superior in so many ways. So could you just give us the 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 strong pitch for nuclear um, so we can sort of set the stage for a deeper discussion? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a couple different angles here. So one, um, nuclear, as opposed to both wind and solar, um, it provides uh, dispatchable power. It, it provides consistent, reliable base load. So whereas, you know, wind dependent, uh, or you know, wind farms dependent on the wind, um, solar farms dependent on sunlight. Um, so there's intermittency um, associated with both of those mm-hmm. um, forms of power. Whereas nuclear, you know, as long as it's operational, it can provide a steady amount. Potentially, some of the the new generation ones can modulate um, their output um, more so. Um, but in practice, that's not really what's happening right now. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, nuclear power, when we were first building the like original plants in the United States, we we're paying about $3,000 per kilowatt of capacity, um, which is cheaper than, um, than uh, natural gas with um, carbon capture at, at this current moment. Um, so, you know, we can have... Um, you know, this consistent baseload power at a very affordable price, um, you know, zero marginal emissions. Every, when everyone says uh, it's like, you know, zero carbon or something like that, it, it always feels a little disingenuous because it's like to um, produce any of these things, you have to you have to mine them, you have to refine them, you have to build factories, you have to shift things like all industrial processes um, require a lot of energy and most of the forms of energy currently are in the forms of fossil fuels. Um, part of the other pitch for nuclear is that it can generate thermal heat, um, like the, the new ones. So it can be used for industrial processes outside of just um, kind of electricity needs. Um, but the biggest, you know, a lot of my work focuses on the grid and making mm-hmm. sure that the grid is reliable. You know, I know what we're going to touch on that um, with the focus on Texas because it's very real here. It's not theoretical. Um, and, you know, so I think that essentially kind of my criticism of renewables on the grid, particularly ones in a certain kind of market, um, like market system that we have, like we have in Texas and exists in California, New York, the Midwest, it does it doesn't ensure reliability. Um, and we add a lot of complexity as we add more intermittent power generators. Um, right. And just the grid getting close, like the grid is essentially in my mind, like the backbone of American prosperity. Like we understand it. We, we, we really gain the most appreciation for the grid when it's not working. Um, and unfortunately <laughs> yeah. I have had, I've had um, like, I, I think it's just like so much of my life, it's just become um, more visceral um because there were several days this was due to a local transmission issue but due Mm -hmm. to a local transmission issue um i lost power for three or four days in texas this winter 
Um, I was, you know, the great thing was that my house um, has a gas stove so I could still boil water and like cook some stuff. Um, and I have a fireplace that uses gas too. So I could like turn that on at night and stay warm. Um, so, wow. so I had that. And then also Christmas Eve, um, I was in New York in mm -hmm. Rochester. I think this was also a just a transmission um, related issue. Um, but we lost power for like eight, eight hours on Christmas Eve. It was actually kind of magical because my dad um, and stepmom have all these like like heating lamps or, or you know these like these like oil sorry they have like oil lamps um that are very like beautiful and we just like put all those on and my dad has like a propane like heater that used to be in our barn that he like brought into the house and was like using um and then so we we're just like sitting like lit by these uh by these lamps in front of the christmas tree and there's like all the reflections off of that so that was actually nice because we were all kind of just like in this like calm state we like grilled you know in the dark and it was nice but ate by candlelight but anyway but 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 it's still this i had these visceral kind of experiences of you know uh the power sometimes doesn't work um mm -hmm. what do you do then do you have lamps do you have a grill um do you have a fireplace that runs on gas do you have a gas stove um because if everything's electric you're at the mercy of of whatever non-electric things you have you have access to Right, right. And so that basically sets up, you know, obviously, like the reliability of nuclear is a, a big bonus. Um, and what do you have to say to people that are concerned about the waste? Because the waste does get brought up as one reason to object to it as opposed to other, you know, renewable, cleaner sources. Um is the waste issue a really big problem or is that a sort of peripheral concern? Yeah, I, I, so, I mean, I think all of these things have their waste um, or all of these systems have their waste. So I think in some ways the focus on nuclear waste is like, uh, you know, I, I'm not like, I, I think we should pursue all of these technologies. Um, mm. I just maybe want the market structure to be a little bit different. You know, like I have, I have less, qualms with things if they're not subsidized or if they're not like on the grid in a way that I think is, is harmful for reliability, which is essentially like a market failure in in my mind. Um, you know, but like batteries, for example, like uh, the one of the uh, like a carbon monoxide, uh, you know, detector downstairs went off the other day and I had to go grab it and take it out and pull the eight volt battery out so we could replace it. And like, what do I do with that? You know, like, I know I, I can't just put it in the trash. Like there's, there's supposed to be a process, you know, like, like batteries are waste that we have to manage too, you know, or, you know, a solar panel or a wind turbine or whatever. These things don't like there's, in, there's um, technology involved and we have to manage the waste just like anything else that we do. In my mm -hmm. mind, um, I view those as like um, tractable engineering problems. Um, like those are things that we can solve and and figure out how to manage waste um and with nuclear we um have done that in the in the short term so essentially um there are these um, massive casts there's all kinds of um great fo photos on the internet um but you know there's these massive casks that you can put the waste inside of you know the casks are um resilient to like a plane crashing into them you can watch like a video of like people shooting like a missile at them 
you know, it's basically like a post 9-11 like requirement um, because we want to be super safe. Um, yeah. It's super safe. Um, and essentially like a lot, like there's this urgency. I can, I can, I, like I can empathize with people who are like, yeah, but the waste lasts so long. Um, that's kind of the, the, the argument. Cause you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, we can, we can store it for now. It's safe. We don't have to worry about it. People want to make sure that at some point it's like dealt with in a more secure way. Um, I think there's reasonable solutions we can move forward on right now. None of that is happening. No one is interested in actually pursuing any kind of long-term thing as far as like Congress. Um, so right now it's just going to stay local. I mean, people can talk about it, but I, I, some people say that's because they want to kill nuclear. They don't want there to be a solution or at least some entities don't want there to be a solution. Um, but I think basically the, you know, the tides are kind of turning. People want this again. Um, even Japan is, you know, booting up their nuclear reactors again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they're the ones who most suffered from Fukushima, um, the one reactor, um, failure, which, um, you know, kind of, you know, crushed an er a potential earlier nuclear renaissance, but essentially, right. you know, the, the waste problem is tractable. Um, other places are creating like central or, you know, other countries like France and different places, they're creating like centralized storage. So it's like, you know, we, we could have some kind of system where it's like, oh, you don't want it in your backyard because you think it's really a problem and uh, you're worried about it. Well, I think it would be fine if it was here. So why don't you just pay us a bunch of money and we'll store it mm -hmm. and it becomes our property once we own it or, you know, like once we seize control of it. Um, cause in my mind, there's also a question of whether or not these, uh, the waste, I mean, maybe there'll be like, it's very dense. Yeah. Um, so like all, I think the, the kind of talking point is all of the waste that's been created since the, you know, beginning of the American nuclear, um, you know, domestic, um, you know, power program fits in one football field, like 12 feet high or something like that. So in the scheme of waste and space, we have like compared to that, we have infinite space in right, the right. United States alone. Um, so it's not like an actual space problem. It's extremely dense. Um, so we could just have like one super secure football field thing um, where we where we store it, you know, um, at some point, maybe there will be a lot more of the waste. So we ramp this up. But again, maybe it's five football fields or whatever. It's not it's not a lot of, or, or it's taller. Um, but these could be scarce resources or at least components of the waste could be scarce resources that have applications that we're um not sure about yet or or are otherwise like currently uneconomical to use but mm -hmm. perhaps in a future state are valuable so i'm kind of a little skeptical of like we need to banish these things because like they could in theory you know cause harm to people um if they're not managed properly um, because there is like a future world where, you know, like until we're like mining asteroids and bringing other things like back here, like there are finite resources on the planet, um, mm. but they become resources once we have applications for them, you know, once we use them and, and as we develop technologies that allows us to use them more um, effectively, um, we fun functionally create more resources. Right, um, right. So in my mind, like these, these might be limited or like scarce um, assets that maybe have like some use we don't know about. Like we've only been doing the, the nuclear, um, you know, power, power game for like 80 years, you know, give or take. So it's like, 
it's, it's, it's new. Yeah. So the waste might have some additional applications. That's interesting. Um, and then the, you mentioned Fukushima and I wanted to also just briefly, before we get into some of the regulatory conditions in the U S um, deal with the safety concern. Um, so that gets yep. also brought up. And again, is one of those things that just like won't die. <laughs> um, yep. But my understanding is that the next generation reactors are like extremely reliable and something like absolutely catastrophic um, in like an insane way would have to go wrong for anything uh, like that uh, to happen uh, again here in the U.S., uh, as well as, uh, you know, people even harken back to Chernobyl, right? And the things that went wrong there, we're not going to get, like, into that case specifically, but again, had to do with, like, outdated systems, poor management, a whole host of, pro like, a whole number of things had to go wrong in order for that disaster to even happen as well. So what do yeah. you say to people that are concerned about safety? Yeah, so there are, there are basically, like, three, like, big high-profile um you know, uh, whatever disasters, um, that have occurred in like domestic production, you know, like, um, civilian production of, of power. So Chernobyl, no one disputes that Chernobyl was a disaster. It killed a lot of people. Um, it should have never happened. Um, you know, like the, you know, the, the Soviet scientists who, you know, didn't stop it. Like I've, I've seen like document, uh, it's in the nuclear now documentary, um, which everyone should go see uh, that Oliver Stone created. Um, I'm pretty sure it's available for streaming. But, you know, some of the scientists are like, yeah, it's like the biggest regret of my life that we didn't like somehow intervene, you know, like nominally we could have had some influence and that was just such a disaster, not only for the human loss or lives lost, but also that it became this um, barrier to the proliferation of um, of nuclear power mm -hmm. with, you know, all the kind of like consequences of um not having that power and, you know, being, you know, the costs of other, um, you know, sources of power that we we're using instead. Um, so anyway, no one disputes Chernobyl, but yeah, we're not going to have anything like that in the United States. Um, Three Mile Island was the domestic one. Uh, no one was injured at Three Mile Island. Um, the exposure to radiation was like less than the exposure to radiation that you get just being outside. You know, like we live in a world full of radiation. If you live in Colorado, you're at a higher elevation. You get exposed exposed to more background radiation. People in Colorado do not have higher rates of cancer. Um, there's like Kerala, India has like really high background radiation. Um, they don't get higher rates of cancer. You know, there's like there's like lots of information about this. It's not that like it's it's just it's always a question of the dose. How mm -hmm. like what magnitude? of radioactive um, damage are you taking over what um, time scale? And because the body has mechanisms to repair um, at low doses, you know, because we grew up in a, or, you know, like humanity grew up, we it evolved in a like radioactive environment and, mm. and also in an environment where um, I don't know as much about this, but um, like, you know, oxygen, destroys all kinds of things like right. it, it, it harms our cells so like in general our body has to like respond to stresses and um you know develop these mechanisms to deal with like small doses um so anyway so no one got hurt there so then fukushima so fukushima the so a couple couple points so one you know it's it's literally both an earth like an, an earthquake 
and uh, a tsunami at the same time. Like it was just already a natural disaster that was, you know, basically exacerbated by the um, the, the meltdown of the plant. Um, there were a bunch of nuclear power plants in that area and all of them safely, um, you know, shut down except for, you know, Fukushima Dakai, I think is, is how it's pronounced, which is the um, which is the one that we just call Fukushima. And part of the issue there was their backup generator was was um, not at a high enough elevation. So when the when the tsunami hit, um, the the backup generator went down and then the reactor was not able to safely power down like all the other ones. Mm. Um, so there's and then. OK, so let's take that. Um, and then everyone's terrified because there's a meltdown. Um, but the, the, um, like as of now, there's like one civil case where people have sued, um, you know, the, the, the Japanese, um, like Pepco, um, for the death of, of a worker, um, saying that it was like the exposure to radiation, um, through the disaster led to his death and there was like a settlement and they received money, but there's, but, um, just one, just for one worker, they were successful in that, but other, like there are no reported deaths due to radiation in Fukushima. Mm -hmm. Um, because like you, you real, again, it's about this like dose that you get access to. So in Chernobyl, so much of the problem was that people were, they didn't, they didn't have the systems to actually deal with it. So they were just sending people in, in like short, you know, um work shifts to try to manage the waste um and that led to a lot of deaths but so fukushima it was definitely a disaster um but we've all, like all of the existing operational plants even the the generation 1 generation 2 reactors have adapted their protocols you know your your backup generator if you're near water or you know could experience some kind of torrential rain or whatever needs to be um, at a higher elevation, every time there's some sort of disaster, the industry, the industry learns from that. They do take safety very seriously. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that in general, like it's, it's just so much safer than people think it is. The nuclear industry itself in the United States has like some of the best, like their workers are like less likely to get injured than accountants, you know, like they take safety super seriously. Um, like the stats on that are, are insane. There have been no deaths, um, due to radiation, um, from a domestic power plant inside the United States. Um, you know, there's just like the, the actual statistics here. Um, mm. it just, it's, it is very safe. I understand the, the fears. Um, I think there are ways to, you know, kind of mitigate those risks. As you said, the different, um, the different designs are less risky, but, also, I my kind of view on this is I just want reasonable regulation um, at the federal level. And then I want um, both like states and localities to decide what they want to do. Like the federal government shouldn't be making it impossible for a state that wants to build a bunch of nuclear plants to do so just because some people somewhere else are afraid. Um, it These things are very localized as far as like, like, even if there's a meltdown, like it's very localized, um, even with the, the generation two reactor. So I, I don't think this should be a thing where from the top down, we just like default stop it. And I think if we hadn't stopped it and just allowed the industry to continue to innovate 
and and work and had reasonable regulations um no one would be worried about it at all uh yeah. we have much much cheaper power we'd have much safer plants we'd we'd have iterated way more just because if you have a lot of money working on things you got a lot of smart people to solve problems so what are some of the problems um that are you know impinging on states uh from the federal level i know that vivek ramaswamy for example has called for um the nuclear regulatory commission to be abolished um and mm -hmm. so are a lot of the issues coming just directly from from them uh are there other issues that you know congress has to deal with specifically what does the federal landscape look like yeah so there's um so to start uh the nuclear regulatory commission basically has a, a monopoly on um the regulation of nuclear power throughout the united states so um well with the caveat for for civilian power um where you're selling it to the grid so we do have the uh nuclear navy we've been using small modular reactors for decades um inside uh you know people live inside these uh submarines right mm -hmm. by the reactor um again impeccable safety record um you know some of the best advocates for nuclear power are um you know current and former members of the nuclear navy um so the DOD does have the ability to approve nuclear reactors for certain use cases. They're also looking at applications of small modular reactors or even micro reactors, smaller ones um, for their own purposes, but they can't sell power generated from those um, onto the grid because then it becomes NRC's jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the Department of Energy can approve um, demonstration reactors for use, but they also can't sell power so that you know, eliminate some potential loopholes to to build more of the reactors um, or to otherwise make it more economical for um, for companies to, you know, prototype and, and build these things directly. Um, so, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, you have to get the design approved by the NRC. Um, currently, there's only one small modular reactor design, which has been fully approved. Uh, New Scales Voyager costs them $500 million to get through the, the process um, because NRC is given a budget from Congress, but then they're supposed to recoup um, all that money or not all of it, like 90%, I think, um, through fees that are imposed on the, um, that are imposed on the applicants. Um, so it's basically like you, you pay, you pay them, you pay your lawyers to fill out all the documents and then you pay for their lawyers to review all of them. Um, I think in 2023, it costs $300 an hour to have to have one of these things um, reviewed. Um, they're getting faster, allegedly. Um, I listened to an interview with the chair of the NRC um, that had some, you know, positive movement. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's... You know, there's different things that I would propose that are uh, more moderate fixes. It's it's kind of unclear, like what the pragmatic thing to do is. Um, mm. So maybe maybe it is like if, if Congress had the will to which I don't know that it does. But if Congress had the will to do things other than some of the more minor reforms, um, you know, they could create a a new agency. Uh, this would require Congress. They could create a new agency that is tasked with a different mission um, that is less focused on safety, um, like 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 
you know, that that's just such a core part of not only the the mission of NRC, but the culture of NRC. Yeah. Um, and safety is important because, you know, taking care of people is important, but also because if things don't go well, then that can hurt the whole industry moving forward, right? Like if if the engineers who are designing the plant at Fukushima had, you know, been more diligent or like acted upon, you know, that vulnerability, uh, mm-hmm. maybe we'd be having a completely different conversation. Maybe I wouldn't be a nuclear researcher at all because like we would have just, you know, we would have just built all the reactors. The cost would have dropped. We wouldn't be, the conversation would look very different um, because we were poised to do that before Fukushima, mostly from a kind of like global war on terror, um, energy independence push, you know, right, being right. like, oh, I don't want to be dependent on, you know, Saudi Arabia for oil or whatever. Well, which still hasn't hasn't gone away as like a geopolitical imperative. You know, um, uh, Europe, for example, is feeling the pain right now because of the war in the Ukraine and the loss of access to Russian gas. Um, and, yes. you know, France is like weathering that better than others because they have such a strong nuclear power program. And that was that was the intention behind the the program as well. They unlike the United States, like the French are not blessed with the same amount of like energy resources. You know, we have so much coal, we have so much natural gas, we have so much oil, you know, there's uranium, you know, like there's we got it all here. Um, but they don't have that. So they were like, we can't be dependent on this. We need to create a more robust um system. We should go in on nuclear. And the thing that's, you know, and that's that's something that I really think is another positive for nuclear is that you could just have a um, strategic uh, uranium reserve. You know, mm-hmm. you could just stockpile a bunch of this and be like, oh, we have two years worth of power or whatever if our supply was ever disrupted. Um, it's it's there are stockpiles of it. They're just like underground, you know, like like um, so it's just about like it's like this fun- fundamentally the same thing. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so the geopolitical, um, question, like, I, I mean, it, I think it, it makes the case stronger. We should pursue a similar thing. Um, we don't have to do the Texas pivot yet, but I think that there's like, for example, with, I'll, I'll at least do a little, a little foreshadowing, um, you know, with, um, you know, like Germany very much needs natural gas. Um, the UK, a bunch of the, you know, and they can't get enough of it because they don't have their own like robust, like gigascale fracking industry like we do in the US because they were just using Russian gas. Um, I mean, not just Russian gas, but a lot of Russian gas, um, you know, so part of my pitch is like, OK, we should be building the um, natural gas export terminals and we should be substituting our natural gas needs for our own um you know, power generation with nuclear reactors. And then we should just be exporting so much natural gas to the whole rest of the world and just making hand over fist. I mean, there are maybe like the risks of becoming like too prosperous from like energy <laughs> exports. Like that yeah, does, yeah. that does have right. its own like issues or whatever. And I, I don't know as much about those, but in the, in the first order, I'm like, let's do that. Let's just, you know, like how, how bountiful could, could Texas be? Um, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So uh, I guess this is a good point to start to move into nuclear Texas. So, um, you know, you started the conversation, uh, you told us a little bit about the reactors in your background. Um, So Texas does have operational 
uh, nuclear power. And you said that it is providing about 10% of the energy uh, to the grid here in Austin. But one of the things that I was surprised about, I, I moved here not too long ago as well uh, from Michigan. And I was like astounded that I got to Texas and it's such a wealthy state and they can't have a stable power grid. Like people are, were afraid um, because of, I know they had like a power outage um, a couple of years back that was pretty dramatic for people. Um, yeah. And in some cases they lost power for like a week. Uh, but they were afraid this summer, you know, I was getting alerts on my phone about <laughs> potential power grid outages and reducing my usage. And I'm like, what, what did I just move into? Like, how is a state that's this rich in power resources and this large uh, have an unstable grid? It's astounding to me. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, I think it's a huge black eye for like the energy industry um, in Texas. I, I think I think no one should be talking about Texas as like, oh, you don't want to, you know, like what almost happened in Texas, which is basically how it is, because with um, winter storm Erie in February of 2021. Yeah, I think Sorry, that's I right. Don't want to get the years wrong. So in 2021, um, the grid almost went completely down. Um, so there were rolling blackouts, um, but it almost just went completely down where you'd have to just like restart it. Um, I think like at the scale of the Texas grid, that's like mostly like a theoretical proposition. Like that's not something that we do. Um, it's like restart the grid after it like catastrophically fails. Like that would, you know, that probably would have cost like opportunity costs, like at least like hundreds of billions of dollars is probably like the scale um, going on there. Like tons of like, let alone lives that you can't measure in some like dollar value. Um, there, there were, I believe like at minimum, like 250 people died just from oh, the wow. winter storm um, and like lack of access to power. Um, you know, when it's really cold, you need your heat on at your house, you know, when, um, when it's really hot, you need air conditioning in Texas, you know, it's not theoretical. So one of the warnings that we got, um, was I believe September 6th of, of this summer. So it was kind of late. We had a long summer here. Um, I it's, I think it's technically over now we're in a, we're in a 80, 85 degree fall now um but it was over 100 for like 60 days um mm -hmm. i would get out of work like i learned uh, so i'm from rochester new york western new york it's the amount of times i've been in weather over 100 before i moved here is i don't know like twice three times you know like it doesn't happen um and uh, you know so i had the great misfortune of um so, so i i i ride the bus i'm like a i'm i'm weird people don't ride the bus in austin but i do um I work downtown, so there's not really anywhere to park unless you want to pay a lot of money anyway. Um, so I was riding the bus downtown when it's like 100 something degrees out every day. And that means sometimes you're waiting for the bus when it's like that. Once you get in the bus, like 100 something degrees when the doors are opening every like three minutes, like the AC can't keep up with that. Um, I learned that the marginal difference between it, you know, when it's when it's 79 and then it's 80, like uh, maybe you notice a little bit, but when it's 103 and then yeah. it's 104, that is actually a big step up. Like you really do feel the difference between that in your biology. And I think it's just because it's like danger, danger. Like this is like real heat. Um, So anyway, the, 
you know, so it's not theoretical, you know, when it's 106 degrees, which is what, what it was, basically they were like, Hey, we're not going to have, we might not have power, um, at 8 PM. And it's still like 103 then. Right. Um, and right. basically they execute all these processes. They like turn off the Bitcoin miners. There's like other like non necessary things where they have contracts and they turn all this stuff down. They tell you to, you know, raise the temperature of your AC, turn the power off, whatever. But it's like, it's very much like life or death. You know, when it's 107 degrees out, you're like, if we lose, if, if like things go down or we lose power for a day or two, like older people, children, people who are just unprepared, people who are outside and like can't seek reprieve, like they will die or like suffer heat stroke, all kinds of things. Like it's a, it's a serious problem. So, um, the problem with ERCOT, so Texas has its own grid. Mm -hmm. I think that's completely fine. Um, there are like other parts where we like nominally connect. It's it's kind of weird. I don't fully understand it. But like ERCOT, most everyone's getting their power from ERCOT. Um, ERCOT, ERCOT can't, isn't connected to anything else, um, which does also give us kind of more room to maneuver at the margin because um, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission um, is responsible with controlling transmission um, between states and and can issue all kinds of regulations. They actually can have a, a very significant impact on the on on how um, different grid regions function or how that basically, um, yeah, like the cost of your utilities and the composition of the assets on your grid. Uh, they can make it really difficult to build new um, gas pipelines. They can they can make it so the market structure favor certain resources over others in like kind of um you know in, in kind of like wonky ways that like don't technically you know prefer a, a resource but like in practice do um so texas doesn't have to abide by that so we have a lot more leeway to kind of or at least on ERCOT to to choose how we want to operate we currently operate under one of these con constructs, which, as I said earlier, is the same as California, which also has power problems, the Midwest, which also has power problems, uh, New York, which also has power problems, and New England also has power problems. Basically, this model um, where it's not an integrated utility, all the power generators are independent producers. Um, the, the, the transmission of power is, um, is a local monopoly, so, so they don't compete. Uh, if you have Austin energy then mm. uh basically they just get a uh a return on their investment you know they get like a fixed seven percent or something like that um but but all the power generators bid into auctions every five minutes saying i can produce this much power at this price and then you know supply and demand meet it clears and then there's a single market clearing price so everyone gets paid the same amount um, whatever the like top marginal prices to to meet demand. Um, mm. And basically the, there's, you know, in every region, it's a little bit different. But in Texas, we have like a pure power market. So so that's pretty much it. Um, uh, I mean, there are other programs that that are involved to balance the grid, but like that's how the the fundamental auction works. And basically the equilibrium from that does nothing to ensure reliability um what that what that market structure optimizes around is 
like the lowest median price. And I say median instead of average because, um, because, you know, even, I mean, I think even with the winter storm Erie, I haven't like run the numbers on this, but, um, the, the power can spike up to $5,000 per kilowatt hour, um, mm. in Texas. That's kind of like a cap that is like arbitrarily placed there. Um, and basically when we run out, when, when, um, demand is starting to outstrip supply, every marginal kilowatt hour, we're willing to pay up to $5,000 for it, which is an insane amount. Um, and, uh, so that's like trying to get you to like, you know, if you have a generator, you know, like pour your diesel in there, you can get $5,000 per kilowatt hour you can put out, you know, it's, I'm sure it's more, it's more technical than that in practice. Like there, but there are people who are basically like there to try to make some money on, on, on those um, dire times. Mm. But, you know, when you have this catastrophic failure, um, that is so expensive that, you know, if we factored in all of those costs, right. Like the, um, the average price is probably much higher, but the median price under this system, um, is low. So, you know, business likes that, but, uh, it's not, I, I, I don't think, I think we could have a much better system in Texas that, that is more aligned with this, um, first order. Like we're not going to connect to other States. We're independent. Like we right. should similar be like, like sovereignty requires like reliability, autonomy, you know, mm -hmm. like we have to be in control. We have to know that we're going to have power. We have to be able to take care of everyone who's like, yeah, I just pay my bill at the end of every month and you make sure I have power. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the contract right. basically. Right. So, so, so is there a way that we could, I mean, could we easily in our current state increase uh, specifically nuclear power output? Um, are there plans to build new reactors? Um, and, you know, how well would this, if it were integrated into the grid, stabilize uh, the power transmission yes yeah so um so there's a couple different ways so I, I i know that the texas um public utility commission is looking at how we can get nuclear on the grid now and they were not doing that before um i do have to like catch up on the specifics of that one of my friends actually works there which is pretty cool so he he told me about it first and then um, I have the like clip in my like to watch. Um, so anyway, they're looking into it. Um, there's kind of two, there's a couple of points here. So one, um, most people are looking or most of the interest that exists right now is for small modular reactors because, um, the upfront capital costs are much lower. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you may be able to get an SMR, uh, some of them for like a hundred million dollars or like a bit less than that. Whereas if you want to build like a large light water reactor, um, it's, it's probably going to cost like, I, I don't know, two to 10 billion, like depending on how bad the project goes, you know, I I'd hope it, it costs less, but, um, it really kind of depends. Um, people do think those could be cheaper now, like after the ones in Georgia, like we actually built out a lot of the supply chain and labor, and things like that, that we could actually deliver um, much cheaper ones, but there's no appetite for that right now. Cause you'd have to sell that to a utility most likely, unless like a very large tech company wants to buy one. Uh, Cause no one else really has the like cash and, and energy needs to justify something like that. Um, so most of the interest is in small modular reactors. 
And then there's only one design that's been approved by the NRC. Um, according to the NRC chairman, there are like, you know, there's a bunch of companies that are kind of, you know, working their way through the process in, in varying degrees. There's 15 companies that are in like pre-engagement. So they're like having these preliminary discussions to figure out how they can best position their application and like do it in the most efficient way. You know, they're kind of like, we learned a lot from the other ones. We think we can do it cheaper, better, you know, avoid issues by telling people like, hey, you're not ready. Get your ducks in a row before we start this. It'll save you a bunch of money. It'll save us a bunch of time. Mm -hmm. You know, we have more work than we can get done. You know, like let's have that conversation before we before everyone starts spending money. Um, so so some of it's like preparing for once there are more approved and once there's like more of an industry here, there's a bunch of there's a couple different kind of tax credit and um basically federal incentives that are leading to um or like encouraging some of the interest in, in this. So one, um, there's an advanced, I think it's called like an advanced nuclear credit and they get like a certain amount of cents per output. Um, there may also be like an investment tax credit where they get like, you know, 30% of the cost or something like that. They can write off in, in taxes. Um, I'm not, I'm not totally sure on the, like the fine print. Um, but then the other one is that there's a bunch of loan authority that was given to the Department of Energy's loan program office. They basically have like $200 billion, 200 something billion dollars that they can uh, offer as debt financing to um, for a couple different purposes. One of the purposes is coal to nuclear build out. So you have an old coal plant that was mm -hmm. basically either just inefficient and no longer profitable or was kind of like killed by the EPA and like regulations, even though it was like otherwise fine. I'm sure there's a mix of those things. Um, and they, uh, you know, so the people who, especially in the top down scenario, who just kind of got crushed, not only by like competition from natural gas, but from like excessive kind of regulation, like in some of those places that just destroyed the locality. Cause that's like where the jobs were. They taxed the hell out of it that paid for the schools and, you know, law enforcement and all these kinds of like things that people wanted. Um, mm. And now they have like less. Now their power is more expensive. They probably have less reliable po power because, you know, coal is this base load generator. Um, so I think that there actually is a case that there's like because we've done some of this like top down system engineering, like people basically should get kind of comp comped out, especially because um like we need affordable reliable power for all of the other magic of america to like work um yeah. so it is kind of this fundamental thing um so like some i i think a lot of the ways that people think about it um in this like kind of fake market thing like i'm all about markets all about making sure it works i want a system that you know ensures reliability and then delivers the lowest price and then you know, whatever, but like, we got to get the, we got to get the reliability piece there. Um, so, um, so anyway, they offer loans to, mm -hmm. to, um, to help finance SMRs and the, um, kind of like redevelopment of these, um, for this coal to nuclear kind of like build out. So a lot of States are making moves so that they can get access to that money and that financing. Um, and then the idea is hopefully that that allows for the first of a kind, 
the second of a kind, third of a kind of these different SMRs to be built. And then the costs will, will, you know, collapse as they can like scale these things out and they have more cash. Um, and then we'll be able to like really scale this thing. Mm, okay. Yeah. So there's kind of like a bootstrapping process that needs to take place. And, um, I guess it's important to note here that, you know, undergirding this entire conversation about nuclear is not just like advocating for nuclear power for the sake of um, reliability alone. But as you said, fundamentally, energy is what powers, you know, everything. Um, and getting the energy, I think the goal here is to get us to a place where we have cheap, reliable, abundant energy, right? Because yes. once you have that, once you unlock that, then you can really start to accelerate all kinds of things, whether it's research and development, whether it's just uh, general, you know, um, conducting business, whether it's like the movement of goods and people. I mean, cheap, abundant energy, whenever humanity has managed to unlock it, whether that be fire or the steam engine um, or, you know, later on uh, oil, <laughs> uh, you, yeah. you get just an explosion of activity and innovation and scientific progress. And it's all because we have access to this. And so I think it's important to remind people that um, like, I, I don't believe in degrowth. I don't, I don't believe in degrowth as an ideology. I mean, we don't need to get like too dogmatic about it. Um, but mm -hmm. essentially like I want to unlock a high energy future for everybody, for Americans, especially. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like, techno acceleration excitement happening right now um you know i like mark andreessen just recently published his, his techno optimist manifesto there's the effective accelerationists there's a lot of people in like tech world which i work in and you're like adjacent to um who are talking about techno acceleration but fundamentally to get there you need to have cheap abundant energy um yep so what I'm imagining is given that like Texas does have its own uh, independent energy grid, I didn't know that it was so uh, independent even from other states. Um, yeah. If you unlocked the nuclear potential of Texas, you could actually have Texas alone being this like nexus of extreme power generation. Um, is that sort of like your vision for the state? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, I think that's so much more of a compelling vision than like kind of what we have right now, which is like, oh, or like the median price is cheap. Like, yeah, that's good. You know, that's good for existing business. You know, I think, I think it is a big deterrent for people maybe moving here being like, like, is it going to be reliable? Like, even if they, um, you know, like, like, cause we had an issue this summer too, you know, and like, like the, you know, and the, the Texas legislature is looking at this. I haven't been as deep into what things they're actually proposing. I haven't like heard anything so far that makes me be like, oh, this is solved. It's over. You know, I know that they learned a lot from the winter storm fury. I don't know what they learned from the most recent kind of like scary moment um, and how that's changed, changed the thinking, but they do adapt and, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll figure it out, but you know, kind of, I, I, I take it as like an axiom, like, we're not going to be connected to another grid. Like people, people will point to that. It's like a very much a political talking point to be like, the issue is that Texas is its own grid. You know, like if we were connected to Oklahoma, like it would have oh, never yeah. happened. It's Oklahoma's like, going to subsidize like is, our power use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's just like kind of a red herring. Like there's nothing about the 
um, about the nature of the Texas energy system that it like needs Oklahoma to be robust. Like that's just like, no, like that's not necessary. The real goal with people having those kinds of things is like they want the federal government to have more power over Texas. Like that's what they mm. want. They think that that's good. You know, you can be like if you're from here and you believe that, like I'm not going to tell you anything because like you're you're from Texas and I'm not. But if you just moved here, you need to shut up. No, I'm just kidding. But like, um, <laughs> <laughs> um but yes. the um, yes, Grant. Um, but, you know, because because I don't think that that's it. Whereas like, you know, I'm like, OK, we're we're, you know, Texas is energy sovereign. Like mm -hmm. that's the vision. That's the goal. OK, like how, you know, how can we make sure that we like, you know, almost, uh, like a big problem right now is that no one really has both the authority and the responsibility or like the accountability, like everyone mm -hmm. kind of blames someone else. And like, to be to be fair, like there are different parties you can blame. You're like, oh, the federal government, it's their problem because they made nuclear illegal or they make it too hard to like build things or they shut down our coal plants or they subsidize the renewables in a way that like makes the grid more vulnerable. Some of that's true. Um, you know, you could, you know, you can blame ERCOT and be like ERCOT, like mismanaged this thing. They should have zigged when they zagged, you know, the, the legislature is responsible because they didn't pass these reforms, you know, business is responsible because they lobbied for certain things that, you know, at the margin, may, like save them a little bit of money, whatever, you can blame all these people, but I, I don't really care about that. Like, I, I don't, I don't care. I just, I just want the power to never go down here. I don't want to hear about all the, like my elderly neighbors who died because of the heat wave. Like, I'm not okay with that. Like, I just want to solve it. Um, So I was like, I don't, I don't fully know that this is the best solution, but like, I just imagine like, okay, we're never going to go down. Like the probability of any catastrophic failure is reduced to some level where it's like, you know, probabilistically Texas is like the least likely to ever go down. Like maybe that's of, of all the other States in the union, like maybe that's okay. Okay. Of a ben benchmark. And then, yeah. um, you, you know, power, the p price of power over some time scale should be falling you know yes. i think initially when you build some when you build some stuff it, it might cost more because like you built a bunch of stuff and you have to pay for it um and then power consumption per capita should like rise by some measure mm -hmm. over some time you know so it's like we're consuming more power it's cheaper and it's reliable like let's just like whatever gets us that like in a, in a way that's and, and i think we you know there's probably a bunch of different solutions that could get us that way but anything that doesn't meet those criteria i'm not interested in and connecting to oklahoma has nothing to do with any of that right exactly exactly <laughs> so we're imagining a future where people are using more power while at the same time the price is going down and um that's possible if we make the right moves and if we use the right technology and um you know making the case that nuclear is that technology and those and those things are like that's the way that it's going to happen. Like it's not that the price is going to go down because we're using less of it. It mm. is almost always that because we're consuming more of it, because we are building more reactors, because they're hitting economies of scale, because there's specialization, like that's how we're going to get the price to go down while, you know, like that's the only way that it works. Um, and so the exciting things are, um, well, so there's a couple different, um, uses of power, which can accept intermittency, which I think in the short run can help um, 
with the build out of some of these things. Like they, they, they're very power hungry and, and they can accept intermittency so they can stop their usage and allow that power to flow to the grid more broadly to help with, um, to help with reliability concerns. So one of them is Bitcoin. People have talked a good amount about that. We could talk about it. We don't have to, um, but Bitcoin, um, the other is, uh, LLM training of large language models. Um, a lot of those algorithms can be, can be stopped and paused and they also require a lot of power. Um, and then another one is actually the production of, um, hydrogen, um, and like, like liquid hydrogen for, for power. Essentially it's like a kind of like gaseous battery, um, or liquid battery, I guess. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all a chemist or like know about hydrogen, but I do in theory, um, like hydrogen because it is a dispatchable form of power. Um, Mm. so and and uh, if it's on the grid, I really prefer that it's dispatchable um, until until um, there's no reliability concerns. Um, so, so let's get into um, the the Bitcoin miners a little bit because uh, I'm not sure yeah. like what the scale difference is between something like Bitcoin mining and like LLM training. Like I've done some LLM mm-hmm. training, uh, obviously like on the cloud mostly. Um, I don't have like my own GPU cluster. Uh, in my apartment, yeah. but like, uh, I imagine that like, even with places like, you know, Google or AWS or whoever that's training really, really large models as a percentage of the whole power supply, I, I can't see how that would be very large. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm incorrect about that. I mean, maybe there's like a ton of LLM training that's like consuming a, a ridiculous amount of power. I know it consumes a lot of power. I don't know percentage wise how big it is, but um, but I like I know. I think I think they can scale it up a lot. Like I I think the demand is really there for them to do more. Um, yeah. Again, so, I don't. So, so I, the big I, thing I don't is know like the... if you built out a giant compute cluster, um, with just like a ridiculous amount of GPUs. And you had like the the kind of power availability and abundance that we're talking about, then yeah, you could um just go nuts with these models, right? In a way that like we can't really do because they're constrained by power pricing mostly right now. Yeah, well, I know that they want to scale it up. So right, there's there's been some reports. Again, I'm I'm also not like a big fusion guy. I'm very supportive of it. People should try whatever. Um, and especially if they're getting private capital, I think that's really awesome. So there are reports that like, um, Sam Altman backed some fusion company and they have some contract that's pending. A lot of the way that these things work is that you propose to create a power generator could be fission, could be fusion, could be whatever. And to finance it, you, um, you secure like a power purchase agreement from some large consumer of power. So, and then that allows the, um, the asset to get financed. So basically you go to like Microsoft or Amazon or something and you're like, Hey, we want to build, um, a small modular reactor. Would you, we could sell you this much power at this price for this many years. Let's get a contract. Mm. And if that's, you know, if those terms are, are amenable to them, then basically they don't pay you anything, but they give you a piece of paper that then you can go take to private markets and be like, Hey, you're going to get your money back. Or, you know, where, you know, you, you want to own equity in this or whatever the pitch is. Um, I don't, I don't know all the different business models. Um, so 
So I think just at the margin, the demand for that kind of power can help a lot. And especially in this world where there are these like intermittency problems and we do need to, you know, send power back to the grid during these like catastrophic heat waves or, you know, all these things, because, you know, stuff just happens. Like, you know, there, there are issues why it's like, you know, I don't really think we're going to eliminate the risk. I just want to get it down to a much lower level, like having some kind of concern once a year. Some of that's also obviously like the Austin trauma, as you kind of like alluded to, or like the Texas trauma around these things. But it's like, let's, you know, someone who's a little more statistically savvy than me can, you know, figure out how we can measure that and like compare. And I just want it to be like an order of magnitude lower is now yeah yeah so so the miners the the bitcoin miners though there is a lot of bitcoin miner operations uh in 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 texas and yes they already are like pretty well integrated into the system of we sign a contract for a certain amount of power we agree to give power back to the grid um at certain times and we pay a certain you know price for that yeah they get they basically get like a discount or they just get paid when they're told to, to shut off. Um, there was, there was a big story about it because the, the large Bitcoin miner, I think it was riot, but I'm not totally sure, like made more money from the payments from, uh, from, from the, uh, demand response program than they did from like Bitcoin. But that's because the grid was insane. Like basically right. they, they had, <laughs> they had the right to like run these things but like the grid just would not have worked. And instead they just got paid to not run them because we had an insane heat wave and we don't have enough dispatchable power generation on the Texas grid. So when there was like big swings in volatility, the best thing was just turn off all of these, uh, all of these miners and they got paid a lot to do that. Also it's been, it's like a rough time. Like the, the thing that is, you know, a big supporter of Bitcoin, I think having like large, well-capitalized miners, like, you know, like, the ones who are going to win and succeed over like a 10 year time horizon, assuming that, you know, interest rates don't go to 20% and like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, like prices never get good or whatever. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but, um, you know, the ones who are going to succeed are the ones who, uh, not only run very competitive operations, but also manage the distribution of cash and Bitcoin and their costs in this very like savvy way and at some point like you will have like really well well capitalized um miners who mm. are reliable customers um because because a lot of them like were levered up during the last bull rush and then they got absolutely crushed because the value of their bitcoin collapsed they you know had bought like purchased way too many miners i think there was like a long lead times on actually getting the hardware, but they'd already paid for it. It was more costly, whatever. Like it's just a tough business. Um, so that's why I think it's also good um, as far as like demand response programs, if there are other like successful commercial applications and also from like people or organizations, business entities um, who can definitely fulfill a power purchase agreement. You know, like if Amazon agrees to that, like you're going to get your money or if like Apple wants to start training LLMs, like they got plenty of cash. Um, mm. If Apple wants to stop just greenwashing and saying, Hey, we're not zero and actually like try to run a campus on, uh, on, you know, zero marginal carbon power. Uh, I'd love to see them buy some of the earliest SMRs 
Um, and, and, and I would, I would give them a lot of kudos, but for now I'm just throwing shade. Um, yeah, yeah. So those are good. Uh, those are good potential, um, I guess, intermediary solutions. Um, but I, I really like this idea though, of like Texas as just a power independent as like a powerhouse, right. Uh, for a state, yeah. because like part of the reason I moved here, um, was like, you know, I wanted to like buy into the whole Texas uh, mythos, right? Of like a state that's essentially more like a republic than the other states. You know, all the states were sort of originally to be supposed to kind of be like their own little nations. Um, but, you know, under our current constitution, there's like serious limits on that. And then as the power of the federal government has expanded, especially since uh, the Civil War, and then again after like FDR, um, you know, people don't really think of the states as like their own entities very much. Um, but Texas mm -hmm. still sort of has that that grain of like independence um, at like attitude in it. And that's one of the things that really attracted me to it. And I think getting um, getting like Texas to like not only continue to be energy independent from the other states, but also to like become like a an energy powerhouse in an exceptional way um compared to the other 50 uh could really just like turn it into this like almost um like quasi independent world where there's like the rest of the contiguous united states and then there's like texas and texas is just like doing crazy stuff and building a huge amount of things and and really uh prospering from this massive amount of uh energy yeah, no, totally. And I and I think that that is like, it's just such so much more of a compelling vision. Like, I think there's there's a lot of room to differentiate. There's a lot of bad energy policy out there. Uh, let's not go off the cliff with everyone else. You know, like, instead, I think, you know, Texas, as far as like talent in the space, like, right, I've been, I've been working in energy policy, like part time for like, two years and then you know full-time for like three months like there are there are definitely some people in texas who have like forgotten more about the grid and like or nuclear power plants or any of these things than like i've ever known like we have the talent here like i almost think just you know what if texas you know texas needs its own ver i don't know maybe there is something i'm not a texas historian but like right everyone's like oh we need a a space race for yeah. this or you know <laughs> or whatever this kind of thing like texas needs like an energy plan you know and maybe that like and it's interesting because texas is not like i mean like t texas is it's not like a free market thing like per se like that's not it's like uh, ideology i think i think that like m maybe it is a, a different market system or just a couple different patches on on the mechanism we have now like i think that's that's possible um but also like texas in general like i i kind of view it it's it's like it is kind of a status state um in the sense that like the 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 government here has a lot of power you know lots of things that are like legal in other states for individual people to do um are not legal here right like weed's not legal i i don't know there's a bunch of other things um but it's more of like a freedom from the federal government it's like a freedom <laughs> to be a texan and for us to like do what we want to do here um, so anyway, I'm kind of like, why, like, it would be really cool if we just like, got, you know, all these brilliant people together. And we're like, what? Like, this is the vision. How do we get there? Like, what is actually the best way to get there? How do we like, how do we live up even more to this idea of not only are we um, 
alone, we're like independent, sovereign, but that we're a role model, you know, like, like we should have an energy system where everyone like what um, people who are in interconnected models that aren't working and aren't trending in that way are like, how do we get out of this? How do we right. claim our sovereignty? How do we do what Texas did? How do we like, oh, like there's an energy, there's a way to build infrastructure that has all these positive returns that like, you know, allows you to do all kinds of um, things that are previously not possible. Like if you don't have, like as power gets cheaper, like we unlock different things that are like otherwise not possible um, because the economics just radically change. Um, I think that's just so much more compelling than whatever we're doing here. We're like, oh, it's a little cheaper than other places. Like we're business friendly. It's like, it could be so much better than that. No, no, it could be, like, it could be so, so splendid, like, like, like splendorous and, and wonderful. Um, yeah. So I, I, hopefully conversations like this are, uh, are the start of, of getting that going. Obviously there's a lot more like groundwork to be done at the legislative level and the governmental level and, and other things, but also just making people more aware of the possibilities that are out there. Um, so Grant, um, this has been a great conversation. Uh, obviously, you're going to continue your work uh, doing research and writing on this. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, what you're doing and um, generally just get involved in uh, the various things that you're up to? Yeah. So, um, so you can see my work at, at freeop.org. Um, uh, and, and you can also just Google Grant Dever Freeop or Grant Dever Nuclear. Um, sometimes I'm on Twitter right now. I'm currently on a bit of a hiatus, but I'm at Grant A. Dever. Uh, maybe I'll be there by the time you see this. Uh, and then I have my own personal Substack, uh, www.seekingtribe.com. Um, so you can see I, I, there I write about all kinds of different things. Maybe I'll write a bit more about um, power and, and some of this um, moving forward. But yeah, expect to see a, a lot more from me and feel free to reach out. Always happy to connect. And if you live in Austin, uh, even better. Yeah. And Grant does deactivate his Twitter uh, somewhat frequently. So uh, it's unreliable. You should go to the other avenues if you want to <laughs> yeah, yeah, contact. Yeah. Um, and so you true. also, I believe, started recently working with uh, Roots of Progress. Uh, well, what did they have you doing there? Yeah, so um, I'm very fortunate that I applied for and was selected to be a fellow for Roots of Progress's um, blog building intensive or fellowship. Um, essentially, so Jason Crawford, the founder of Roots of Progress, um, you know, he is seeking to develop a new philosophy of progress you know people used to be a yeah. lot more optimistic about the future uh more people used to be like alex and i and uh you know dream of better things and and, and imagine a future that is much uh, more splendid than uh, the one that we currently live in um, but a lot of people are kind of nihilistic now um you know to be fair uh some of the initial kind of like progressive you know futuristic things did not play out or they did in in ways that um people are not not so happy about or or even existential about um but we can learn from that you know the world can still get better i think there's so much like low hanging fruit of things that are just obviously bad you know that's the thing that always makes me optimistic and it's just like there's so many things that are clearly bad and if we at least made those good then um things would be better <laughs> you know so there's there's I, I i actually think that there is still low hanging fruit i think it's all around us um but so, um, so at Roots of 
at this fellowship, basically they, you know, congregated a bunch of, um, you know, people who are interested in policy, you know, aligned with this kind of vision. We all have our different critiques and our different ideas. Um, very interesting group. Um, but essentially they're, they're just providing, they're connecting us with some advisors, um, learning a bit about how to build out our own like personal writing on, on the internet. We're participating in David Perel's uh, rite of passage program to kind of like hone our writing skills and build those habits. Um, so I will be shipping something at seekingtribe.com, um, you know, at least once a week for the next, uh, you know, four weeks from here. Um, so yeah, that's really what's going on there. And we'll kind of see where it goes. But I met a lot of great people. Um, it's really got me thinking about my writing um, more intensely. Um, and, you know, really energized me to, to put more stuff out there and, you know, just become a more effective communicator. Cool. Well, that's great. Um, so everybody go check out uh, Grant's blog and keep up to date with his writing. And uh, hopefully we will see a bright nuclear Texas very soon. Let's go. All right. Well, this has been fun. See you later. Great. Yep. Cheers, man. Thank you.